All right, hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Long Ball Football Podcast as today we are joined by Lee Wingate from the excellent The Sweeper Podcast to talk about all things Madeira, Maritimo and Nacional because Lee had a recent trip there. Lee, thank you so much for joining me, mate. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I literally just got off the plane a little while ago, so uh, <laughs> I started the day in Funchal and uh, yeah, here we are. And where are you joining us from? Uh, joining you from Vienna at the moment, which is Beautiful. which is where I'm based. Yeah. Beautiful. And uh, alongside the sweeper, I know you do the other Bundesliga, which is an Austrian football podcast. Um, you're joining us in your capacity as host of the sweeper, though. Um, before we get started, I, I'll let you I'll let you introduce the show. But um, for any of our listeners that are not aware of it, the sweeper is a really fantastic and unique podcast. Um, you'll describe it better than me, but all about the kind of weird wonderful and and unique aspects of football outside of of uh the top five leagues i was saying before we started recording it's it's amazing to listen to and hear portugal discussed as pretty much a, a big fish rather than normally it's it's kind of gets a a second mention you know but um i'll let you explain it but yeah go on the sweeper podcast what's it all about well yeah portugal sort of about as high as we go because we're a podcast that <laughs> that tries to, to sort of stay away from the the biggest leagues. I think it sort of stemmed from doing the other Bundesliga and realizing that there was so little focus on leagues like Austria, and then of course further down the UEFA coefficient even less so. So we just kind of wanted to make something that actually sheds light on all of these stories around the world. And we basically did a little bit of research and found that that nothing existed. And yeah, then when the opportunity came to make it with my now co-host, Paul, who's had a pretty crazy life, um, becoming the, the sort of youngest international football coach ever when he was uh, with the state of Pompeii, which is over in Micronesia, and then running a football club in Mongolia. It's got so many weird and wonderful stories that I sort of jumped to that chance. And yeah, that's what we're trying to do now. So we have episodes out every fortnight um, and one recent one, which talked all about this trip to Madeira as well. Yeah, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So some of the stuff we, we're going to talk about will uh, be referencing uh, the most recent episode, which you can go into listen to now, and we'll put links to uh, the Sweeper podcast, all the socials and all that kind of stuff in the description of uh, this podcast. But let's get into it. We're here to discuss your recent trip to Madeira to watch Maritimo versus Nacional in the Madeira derby, one of, in my opinion, the the best fixtures in 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 Portugal, one of the, the greatest derbies. I mean, listens to our show know how much I love these underrated um, derbies. But you know, for people like myself and other Portuguese football fans, of course, this is a, a fixture that we might know about. But I'm interested from your perspective as someone who's not uh, following Portuguese football so closely. Where did this all even start for you? This idea about seeing. Uh, the Madeiran derby. What is it about this fixture that that drew you in and and made you actually go for it and take on what is quite a, a large undertaking to travel to Madeira just to watch a single game of football? Well, there's sort of two strands to this answer. The first one is the more pragmatic one, and that's that I'm fully remote with my job, and uh, I've been looking to sort of escape the very cold winter temperatures in <laughs> Austria had a little look around and Wizair have a, a link between Vienna and Funchal. And that's that's, that's pretty much the, the sort of the simple, I say Funchal, I mean Cristiano Ronaldo International Airport, <laughs> of course. Um, but that's sort of one part of it. And the other part is we focus a lot on the sweeper on, yeah, really remote clubs and especially clubs that are based on islands. And uh, of course, last season in, in 
in Portugal, as as you well know, and I'm sure you've spoken about a lot, all the, the island clubs disappeared from the top flight. So we talk a lot about Santa Clara uh, being one of the sort of most remote clubs in Europe, in the Azores, and then Maritimo going down as well. And I, I sort of wanted to understand why this has happened, if it was a coincidence or something more. And I guess that was sort of the the motivation for going. And it just so happened that this uh, Maritimo Nacional game was in January. So it all sort of lined up perfectly, really. Mm, I mean, it's a real it's a real bucket list fixture for a lot of people, myself included. So um, I think you made made an excellent choice. I'm interested if it, before you went, what um, did you know much about Maritimo at all? Did you know much about Madeira at all? Or even what your kind of um, expectations of Portuguese football were even in advance before you went? Um, well, I have been to Portugal before many times, but not really watching football. Apart from the one game I did watch, it was a Benfica-Bayern Munich game in the Champions League a few years back. And I ended up going back to the airport just purely accidentally with the Bayern Munich team, not looking where I was going and stepped onto an escalator and realised that I had Roberto, Le- <laughs> I'm sorry, Roberto, Robert Lewandowski um, in front of me and Renato Sanchez behind me. This was a good few years back. And um, was in the middle of the Bayern Munich convoy, but that's the wow. only, only club game I think I've seen in Portugal. Um, I didn't really know that much about Madeira. I'd obviously... You know, you know about Madeira because, you know, that's where Cristiano Ronaldo is from. And I, I sort of was aware that they speak Portuguese slightly differently to the mainland. And, and yeah, they certainly do. I have a very, very limited understanding of, of Portuguese and, and even less of an understanding of the Portuguese <laughs> that was spoken in Madeira. Uh, beyond that, I just knew it was very picturesque. Uh, that, that lots of sort of uh, people go there in retirement, which I can certainly <laughs> confirm. Um, but other than that, it was pretty much sort of stepping in there and just just discovering it myself. And yeah, what a beautiful place! Just incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And there's an there's an awful lot of different things we can talk about, and we will come on to talk about not just the game itself, but also the kind of context around it. And and as you say, you mentioned um, the fact that there's no Premier Leagues in the top flight, no uh, island teams in the top flight. Excuse me, um, at the moment. Um, we're going to come on to that. Perhaps slightly selfishly, the the, the first things that I've wrote down that I wanted to talk to you about were things that I I picked up on when I was listening to the episode that you released yesterday. Um, as there there were things that you were speaking about that I've never heard anybody else say apart from myself. Experiences about going to um, sort of smaller team football in Portugal outside of the big three as a as a foreign journalist about turning up at stadiums and people not having any idea why you're there. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that first experience of of you know, of course, you want to see this great game and you want to learn all about the team, but then you have to get there and you also have to be let into the stadium. And I think it's fair to say that people perhaps don't expect English journalists to be turning up at a game like this to to watch the Madeira derby. Mm. Yeah, well, I think first of all, I'd say that everyone at Maritimo and by extension in Madeira is super friendly. Mm. Like the, I, So living in Vienna, the one thing Vienna perhaps doesn't have is the sort of warmth from the locals sometimes. And to go to places like Madeira, you instantly feel it. And, and at the club, they're all very nice and, um, you know, accepted the accreditation. But things work differently in Portugal to how they do here. You know, you find out about your... Uh, accreditation well in advance here everything's sort of organized and yeah the night before the game I was still waiting to hear back um, desperately sort of hoping that 
you know that that uh that I would get the, the confirmation very soon and then when I when I got to the stadium it was it was sort of a case of and you know this is my bad you get a lot of English people that that sort of go places and just expect everybody to speak English and so for mm-hmm. me to expect the people there would speak English to me is you know I have no right for that but it was difficult trying to communicate with sort of security and stewards and tell them that I'm a journalist here's my accreditation um can I come in please <laughs> and um and yeah so the first the first security guard sort of sort of let me in and pointed me down the corridor said something which I understood as the room on the left so I went walking down there and there was a room on the left it was the media room mm. but it sort of looked very much out of use there was a bit of a hole in the ceiling and some sort of cuddly toys I think sort of <laughs> Spanish, Spain and Portugal they do those initiatives quite a lot where um, yeah. people throw toys onto the pitch right for for kids charities and th- so that was there and I thought well this is you know not in use at the moment um and then I, I sort of walked further along got intercepted by a policeman who said you know what are you doing here and I explained <laughs> to him it just sort of ended up being directed around the houses he sent me up to the third floor he sent me back outside the woman back outside <laughs> sent me back in and I just ended up pitch side very confused until somebody sort of rescued me and and then t- <laughs> took me up into the stands and that was that but the, the whole thing was was about 20 minutes and um I, it wasn't as bad as I went to uh went to a, a Partizan Belgrade uh, Europa League qualifier the summer before last and there I was directed to just walk out of the players tunnel and I did I walked down <laughs> a line a line of riot police on either side of me and then walked straight out onto the halfway line and there's sort of 10,000 Serbian fans <laughs> looking down at me so it wasn't quite like that but there was enough confusion there. No I think what you've described perfectly kind of encapsulates um Portugal in many ways absolutely so welcoming uh so lovely and a lot of kind of a mixture of confusion and 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 but positivity about sort of foreigners taking an interest in their league so I'm I'm sure that's something that um you saw a lot of I, I want to talk about the game itself the actual game of football because you know there is so much to get lost in but that's important to remember that you were there for a game of football and I know that feeling of of uh, the build-up to a game that you're really excited for, especially a derby, being worried about whether it's actually going to live up to expectations, whether the game's going to be good or not. Um, this one certainly delivered. It was 3-1 to the home side, Maritimo. Thanks in no small part to to one man. Um, I have to say, listening to, to your podcast made me jealous about a lot of things, but hearing you discover um, Bruno Shadash for the first time was, was a real joy to listen to. Someone that I think people in Portugal have been aware of a little bit depending who you follow, but um, uh, a really, really wonderful player who made a big impact on the game. Yeah, I think when you go to a game and, and sort of, to be honest, you don't really have that much of an idea about the players. Like I'd ask somebody who I should look out for before, but you're sort of orienting yourself, looking at the team sheet. Ah, oh, that's number 10. He's pretty good. So there were a couple of players that stood out to me. Um, it was, I, th- I forgot his first name now, Estevez, uh, mm. the Nacional uh, midfielder, had gloves on. And that that sort of, <laughs> that sort of, I was thinking, this is 24 degrees. What's he doing? You don't need gloves in this weather. Um, but then as the half grew on and um, and Moretimo came into the game a little bit more, because I have to say they started on the back foot and Nacional were, were really pushing and had them pinned back. But then around... Around the 35-minute mark, a, a really poor clearance from one of the Nacional players. It landed at Jadas's feet and he just hit this strike. I'm sure many of your listeners might have seen the highlights already, but this sort of effort that curled both around and over the goalkeeper and mm. went straight into the top corner. 
and instantly you sort of like, wow, who was that? So you looked up his name, saw it as Bruno Jadas, put out the the live tweet because I was doing a, a bit of a live ticker. And then within six or seven minutes, he he did it again. And <laughs> I said said to Paul on the on the sweeper that we made, I said, you know, that the second goal that Jadas scored was a bit like um Shabalala's goal for yeah. South Africa at the at the 2010 World Cup. It was sort of a bit wider out on the left edge of the penalty area, straight into the high mm. up into the net. That was that was a really good goal. And by that point, I was thinking, you know, who is this guy? And a few people started commenting on Twitter saying we you know, at least he's he only turns up in the big games, or he's he's not quite lived up to this at the, all the clubs he's been at. But certainly, the the opening half I saw from him was extremely impressive. Yeah, I think Bruno Chalas is is the type of player that we see so much in. Definitely, we see a lot in Portugal and and in all those leagues outside of the top five. You know, those those players who the, the natural ability is there, but for whatever reason. Perhaps there are other factors that have held them back in their career a little bit, whether that's injuries. I think in Chalas's case, it's a lack of consistency and and a kind of injuries. If he if he was able to play at top form every single game, you know he'd be playing for the Portugal national team. But that's also part of the joy of going to these games is you you find these gems out of nowhere. And I think um, you know watching the highlights of this game afterwards, it kind of gave me that a pang of missing seeing Chalas play in the um, in the top flight. Uh, there's a lot of unique aspects to this game, but I think one of the most positive is really the, the atmosphere and, and and the sense of fan engagement that you get at any Maritimo game, but certainly at this derby. And I think perhaps one thing that people might not know about Portugal um, is that outside of the top three, there really is, to be fair, an issue with um, attendances and fan engagement at clubs outside the smaller teams. There's a huge sort of cultural phenomenon, which which means that I think you know probably 90% of Portuguese people support one of three clubs which is really quite unique to, to Portugal in many ways um, and to support another club is almost almost seen as a bit strange I mean I know a lot of big free fans will have sort of a second club that they have sympathies for but um, uh, you know it is, it is almost considered a kind of strange thing to do um, we're going to come on and talk about some of the ways that being an island club has its limitations but I think it's important to recognise that perhaps one of the main ways that that being an island club uh, can can benefit a team is, is that sense of identity that, that people have. I know Madeira and people have a very strong sense of identity and that in itself feeds into its support of their team, whether that's Maritimo or Nacional. I know when they were in the top flight last season, despite being in a relegation battle, they regularly had the fourth or fifth best attendances week in, week out. Um, and it looked like in this game as well, there was a real sense of that. It was a sold out game, as you mentioned, and and the atmosphere itself was excellent and probably arguably the best atmosphere in Portugal that weekend. Yeah, I mean, I have to be honest, I don't know what it's like up at Nacional Stadium. I know that's sort of up in the hills in Funchal and it's smaller. And I have to admit that throughout my time uh, in Funchal, and I was there for a week, I really didn't see any Nacional fans Mm. apart from at that game so walking around town it was just the the red and green of maritimo and uh i was ex- i was told that the most of the the islands uh, as you pointed out there a lot of people they they support one of the clubs on the islands and then perhaps one of the bigger ones on the mainland but of the ones that only support a club on the islands most of them are for maritimo and mm. several reasons are explained um as as potentials uh just sort of potential reasons why that is but I, I sort of really was impressed by the Maritimo home fans, at least. I thought they were 
really passionate, even when they're on the back foot. And the National fans as well, they made a lot of noise. I think they sort of quietened down a little bit after the the Jardas double. But both sets of fans are really good. And I think it's probably something quite unique to have a, a, a sort of a, a sold-out away sector for one of these island clubs. Definitely, because, yeah. Yeah, one of the things I sort of picked up on was that they don't really take um, away fans sort of every every second week because you know nobody's got the sort of money or time to go to the mainland for the weekends every second every second week um but also similarly you know for the perhaps the clubs outside the big three when fans come the other way they don't bring a full contingent and i expect that's especially the case now that they're in the second tier so Mm. probably for them having a sellout was quite a rarity and uh, you sort of saw that reflected in the passion on the day yeah and um, what about the Nacional fans then? Because obviously there was an away fan presence. And what was the kind of dynamic like between the two? Because on the one hand, like I said, Madeirans have a strong sense of identity. And you might expect a sort of unity and, and, and mutual respect. But at the end of the day, this is a derby. This is a this is a rivalry. Um, and I'm wondering how that kind of manifested during the game. Was it quite a, a, a tasty atmosphere or was it more um, more relaxed? Well, I'll talk about before the game first, because I, when I was redirected outside as part of my long mission to finally find my space in the stadium, uh, that was at the point where sort of the Nacional convoy came walking towards the stadium. And there are a lot of derbies that I've either been to or I know of in world football where the home team would not stand, their fans would not sort of stand respectfully aside, let the convoy walk through and just watch them. Mm. And so that's what that's what happened. The Nacional fans turned up at the stadium singing, chanting, and the Maritimo fans sort of just stopped for a minute, stopped what they were doing, stopped their conversations and just watched. There was no sort of abuse, no sort of shouting at each other. Um, so I, that's, that sort of stuck with me as one of my, my observations from the game. Once they were in there, I thought that, yeah, the Nacional fans were were really, really good. They had a banner up in Portuguese, and I can't remember the exact wording, but it said uh, Madeira is black and white. Mm-hmm. And they were they were making a lot of noise once they were in there, but I never really got the sense that there was anything spicy about it, that anything was going to kick off, or that there was any aggression. It just seemed like a good natured derby, which mm. I think is sort of few and far between now. No, and I think that is actually a positive. I think it's easy to sort of glamorise the uh, the yeah the nastier side of football, but definitely I think I get the impression of a kind of a mutual respect, to say the least. Despite, of course, both sets of fans wanting to win the game. Um, as I alluded to, there are obviously, of course, downsides to being a, an island club. Um, the obvious ones being the the distance that you have to travel between games, and that does take its toll on. Of course, the fans who go into away games is very difficult, but also the players um, and making it more difficult to recruit players when you have to persuade people to to take on island life. You know, it's not just any football team. Um, so did you get a sense from being there? Did you chat to anyone who mentioned anything about how being an island team perhaps has, has, has held the team back a little bit? Yeah, I did. I think... Uh... I think that my questions that I was asking about why Ireland teams were struggling were kind of the wrong questions Mm -hmm. because 
what people were saying is that a lot of these island teams, so they, they explained to me that there used to be one in Madeira called Unial that were dissolved a few years ago. And that, uh, you know, you've also got Nacional, Maritimo, and then Santa Clara in the Azores. Like a lot of them have been up and down over the years with the exception yeah. of Maritimo. So Maritimo have been there for 38 years until the end of last season. So they said, rather than asking why island clubs are being held back, you should probably be asking why Maritimo went down because they were the constant throughout this yeah. time. Um, but of course, it doesn't matter whether they're in the first or second division, how much funding they've got. I'm sure that making that flight 17 times a year for the league games and then for the cup games on top of that is going to, you know, it's going to, be really draining and it's, it's going to be difficult. So I think there are always going to be challenges, but uh, they seem to be at least those three Island clubs that are still um, sort of going. So Santa Clara, Maritima and Nacional, they're all sort of pushing for promotion this season. So I suppose that, you know, even though they're down in the second tier, it's not, not holding them back too much. Yeah. I think it's a, it's an interesting phenomenon of, of, of Portuguese football. Cause I, we, to give, the listeners a glimpse behind the curtain we, we actually chatted about this a little bit as we were messaging in advance of the show about what is it that's led to 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 maritimo finally being relegated and i think um the portuguese football landscape has changed perhaps even in the last 15 or 20 years you know that and and the its relative power in in the european football scene has definitely decreased in terms of portugal so obviously not only does that mean that the bigger teams are kind of have slightly less influence on uh, European football I, you know Porto winning the Champions League under Jose Mourinho feels an awful awful long way away even though it's only uh, 10-12 years ago now so that's uh, sorry longer than that even though it's a long time ago now um, but that has also affected the smaller teams and I think um, we're in a situation now where previously a team like Maritimo with a strong fan base um, and any sort of loyal match-going fans probably could have used that to their advantage to make more of an inroad in in Portuguese football. They're now sort of cut further adrift, and unless you're Benfica, Sporting, or Porto, and then maybe a few other teams, Vitoria, Braga, maybe Bovish, or they've they've had their problems. If you're not one of those teams, you're basically uh, pretty much in a relegation battle every year if you get things slightly wrong. And, and Maritimo had been flirting with relegation for a long time, although they pulled off some great escapes in the sort of last three or four years to stay up. And it just felt like perhaps it was finally their time to go down. But as you say, there is there is a positive, which is that Santa Clara are currently top of the Segunda Liga table. Maritimo and Nacional are in the top four. The top two go up automatically with the third team being promoted through the playoffs. So there is a genuine chance that despite this season being the first season without any island representation in the top division, all three of the promoted teams next season, it is possible, could be island teams. So it's definitely not okay. It's definitely not all over. And um, it's good to see uh, the island teams doing well in the second division, just like Marita Moa and, uh, and the other teams, of course. Um, we obviously can't can't finish uh, without talking about the, um, the huge elephant in the room, which is, of course, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, not only the most successful Madeiran player of all time, but the most successful Portuguese footballer in history. He is obviously a, a sporting icon, a cultural icon for the country. Anybody uh, who's been to mainland Portugal, even if you, if you just walk the streets of Lisbon, you see his face um, everywhere. And, and, and Portugal is, is a fairly small country, but a very proud country. 
Um, and, you know, a much loved figure who's achieved so much in the world stage doesn't come around very often. So I can only imagine what that reputation must be like uh, in Madeira, because Madeira in itself, in the context of Portugal, is kind of a small, um, a small part of the country. So what was that like? Obviously, you said that you visited the the airport, Chanel Airport, and 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 saw the sadly updated statue in the airport. I have to say, I was gutted when they updated it. I thought they should have they kept it. I think the uh, the artist himself wanted to keep it. Um, sadly, they updated it. But um, what was that like on on Madeira? What was Cristiano Ronaldo's presence like? And 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 do you do you just get a sense of him everywhere you go in Madeira? Yeah, you really do. Um, we did a couple of sort of generic tours. So we did like a best of the West, which takes you around um, Madeira's West Coast. And, um, you know, the tour guides will tell you about him. They'll always try and insert him into the conversation somehow. Um, <clears throat> then, of course, as I said, arriving at the airport, there was the the bus. Then you go into um, into the centre and you see people wearing Ronaldo shirts. So mm -hmm. I took the cable car up because because Funchal is very very hilly, sort of mm -hmm. built into the built into the hillside. And I took the cable car up to the uh, Jardim Monte Palace at the, at the at the top, the gardens. And as I came back down, I, I looked down and I saw a kid in a Ronaldo top doing the full Sioux <laughs> celebration. Um, I guess you can see that anywhere, but yeah, other other things in Funchal, you've got the the Nacional training base, I believe is named after him because that was the club he was at before he went to sporting. And then the one thing that you just cannot miss is the, the big museum on the mm. waterfront. So um, CR7 museum, and it, it's right on the promenade. There's a big statue of him outside. It's about a 10 foot statue. Lots of people stopping to to take there uh to have a photo taken with that so really it is everywhere and for such a small place to have produced one of probably the biggest sporting icons of all time they are um immensely immensely proud of it and you really do feel that i would say that i was a little bit disappointed with the museum actually because <laughs> I was hoping for a little bit more information about mm. um, his sort of, especially the starting point, because I think most of us, if you follow mainstream football a bit, you, you're kind of familiar with the story from, I guess, in your case, Sporting onwards, in my case, Manchester United onwards. Kind of wanted to know a little bit about the start in Madeira, uh, but there was there's no information. It's essentially a huge trophy cabinet. So... <laughs> downstairs you've got all of the trophies he's ever won all of the medals he's ever won there are shirts um photos some really nice artwork and then i think perhaps the most curious thing i saw was a giant statue made out of chocolate of him <laughs> which was made by a portuguese uh, chocolatier based in switzerland it weighs 120 kilograms and he's made them of several <laughs> other celebrities as well, like Roger Federer. But but this one of Ronaldo, I asked a guy at the museum, he said it's been there a few years. Um, I have to say I was tempted to try to sort of taste a bit, but yeah, I <laughs> found out it was worth 10,000 Swiss francs. So I refrained. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's everywhere, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Everywhere you look, somebody's talking about him, mentioning him. 
The irony being that if uh, Ronaldo could eat himself, I think he probably would. Um, all right, well, Lee, I think we'll we'll leave it there. But thank you so much for joining us and and discussing what sounds like an amazing trip, a trip that I know loads of our listeners would would love to go on, myself included. And I still hope one day soon to head over to Madeira to to catch some football. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. And just a reminder that you can hear Lee talking about um his recent trip to Madeira on his own podcast, the Sweeper Podcast, as well as. Um, an incredible amount of uh, other stuff that Lee outlined at the beginning, football from uh, Micronesia, from uh, AFCON to Europe, to South America, to Antarctica, um, to quite literally anywhere. So Lee, thank you so much for joining us, uh, mate. And we'll have to have to do this again soon. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on. It was a real pleasure. It's the first time I've ever properly gone a bit more in-depth in Portuguese football on a podcast. So uh, I hope I wasn't, wasn't too far out of my depth. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Well, when you get over to the Azores to watch Santa Clara, you can come back on the show. Uh, absolutely. I'd love to. Brilliant. Thank you, Lee.